God, do you remember meeting new people? That was fun. Yeah, just like my tolerance for it is so deplenished. It's not just tolerance, but it's like the opportunity to actually meet new people in your late 20s. And when you're presented with that opportunity, you're hardly like, oh, great, an opportunity to meet new people. You you need a whole afternoon to think about it, whether you want it. Who who are the new people? Where do I know them from? They're your uni friends that I haven't met. And how many times have you seen them in the past five years? Is that the one who who recently broke up with? No, that was another one. Oh, God. God. Right. Are they the one that live in? Okay. And they they pay for it. These are the ones that I like, but they don't like me. Or the other way around. I said that one thing that they really didn't like that one time. Oh, yeah. Are they the ones that think the death penalty is a good idea? Yeah. Right. Just so, I just need to know that before going in. <laughs> and then that's why, actually, to meet new people, it's good if it's just, like, sprung upon you. You can't, yeah. you can't fight back. Like, that's like, like someone coming up from behind you. And... Like, I feel like work culture has got plenty of that that like you, you as a grown up you have to meet new difficult people with work mm-hmm. that like fills the void and then by the time you're actually enjoying your social life yeah I don't I just want to sit in my comfort zone with people yeah be like yeah like this. I'm gonna make a new friend if someone comes up to me and tra- traverses the massive no man's land that is the the distance between being a stranger and a friend like mm. if I'm at a party mm. And it was, I was at a friend's birthday party the other day. And yeah. Let's say the, on the literally on the other side of the booth is all of her friends from uh, not from school. Yeah. And I was with all the friends I know from school, and you could draw the line. <laughs> yeah. But someone did go over across that no man's land and walk over to me and start talking to me, and I accepted that that was a brave thing to do. Yeah. So I did respond accordingly and positively. I, I find the relationship between your partner's best friend's partner, like you know, mm. my girlfriend's girlfriend's boyfriend, and how like closer because they're they're really really great people and it's really lucky that we do get on right but if if they stay together for forever really long time and i stay with my partner for a really long time i could go on holidays with this person Mm -hmm. i could be dropping my kids off at this person's house we could be having sunday roasts for the next 30 40 years Mm. and it's like this guy that i just presented with that i don't choose to be his friend i'm lucky that i have really great partners partner girlfriends friends partners but you never know it's the what if one. that didn't work? And is this? What, person- do what, do mean, what do you mean? What if? <laughs> yeah. I am aware of that. You, as a uni friend, are about as uh, sort of as late as the friends come. Let's see, I've got couples sort of Jesus, later than you. James, that was nearly ten years ago. <laughs> yeah. Really? Oh, wow. Good. No, I'm, I'm exaggerating. No, but but it's you know true. what I mean. Like, no, but it is. I uni mean, is one of the last sort of mass accumulations of friends that you get. It's really hard to. And I'm not happy with you at all. No, I, I'm <laughs> I sick. Have notes. I've turned you into a colleague over a friend. <laughs> yeah, that's how we made it work. Anyone would like to be our friends? Yeah. <laughs> We're really happy people. Email help me <laughs> yeah. at pulpkitchenpodcast.com. Oh. So I had to get like five vaccines on Saturday. Because I'm going to Should I be worried? Bali. Well, well, you know. You should I worried. not sit from the same cup as you or something? <laughs> I don't know. But like, f- I haven't had any vaccines that weren't COVID vaccines since 2008. So all of them oh, have expired. Right. So I had to get, I need seven to go to Bali. Okay, let me guess. You need uh, hepatitis C. A. A. Yeah. Oh, right, yeah. And hepatitis B? No. Uh, less, less. You can do, but not essential. Malaria? Uh, no. 
Not uh, only if you're there for a really long time, it's not like a thing. Uh, Japanese encephalitis. Encephalitis? Encephalitis. Encephalitis, yeah. I was two, that one is expensive. That's a £98 yeah. pound per dose and you need two doses. Because you don't want to get it. So I spoke to the guy and I was like, so I hear like it's advised if you're staying near rice paddies, I'm staying near rice paddies. And he was like, yeah, you should get it. It's the kind of disease that you can get it if you're really near a hospital and you'll survive. If not, it just goes straight for the brain and yeah. like mucks. It sounded like the cordyceps in The Last yeah. of Us. It literally like, infects the brain and grows yeah. out from, the, from your eyes. I was like, okay, yeah. that's 200 pounds on the vaccine. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. Did I miss any? Uh, DTP. So that's the three in one. What's so that? Uh, uh, diphtheria. diphtheria, tetanus, polio. Not typhoid. No, I got typhoid as well. Oh, wow. So even though I had three pricks, I had one, two, three, I had five. And I'm going to get two more next week. I, my I always thought you were fire. one massive prick. But <laughs> yeah, actually. No, it turns out I needed three. And like the guy was like, yeah, you've had a lot of vaccine today. <laughs> maybe don't, maybe like don't go so hard. And I was like, huh, I'm drinking quite heavily tonight, going mm. out till late. And he's like, yeah, just, you know, a bit of paracetamol. And then I, I went to the Arsenal match. And I, it wasn't that, it was one of those days where it wasn't that cold, but I was shivering <laughs> inside. I was like, I need to lie down. Yeah. So my body's just swimming with like microversions oh of all of those diseases. And I'm surprised you can even use your arms. Oh, they were on fire. Paracetamol though, great drug, underrated. <laughs> Are we allowed to say that? <laughs> This is brought to you by (laughs) Pfizer. (laughs) Let me also talk to you about, I was going to say OxyContin, but that's just not. This is very dark. It's a great show. (laughs) Cut. Yeah, I'm feeling a bit more, a bit better now, but I'm going to have another two. But also like, should I just, is that a sign that I'm just not meant to go to that part of the world? Uh, No, it's that if you're prepared to go to that part of the world. I mean, don't forget that like, the, the ability to go to that part of the world that's part of the world, to, get to yeah. other parts of the world yeah. so easily accessible is still, in the course of human history, a yeah. relatively new phenomenon. So yes, it is. The fact that you can do that and not be on a cruise ship or, or like a, a wooden ship for- A bubble. For, for a year. Yeah. Um, no, I meant like in the eight old times, be like, oh, I go like, to Australia, how long will it take yeah. you? Three years. Yeah, okay. or like 80 and like half of you would die on yeah, the way yeah. and your kids would grow up on the road. Uh, yeah. Is this how we're starting <laughs> the show today? It's a bit somber. Okay, well, let's talk about some movies then. So actually, uh, to recap on last week, we talked about Knock at the Cabin. Could you, you've seen it now. Do you want to just give me your What an irritating film. I mean, I'm not going to go on this long, but saw it with my mum and dad after your review that was, mm, you'd sort of, you didn't ruin it for me, but you sort of prepped me to not be that excited about it. And I thought (laughs) your review was very fair. And I finished, the, the credits rolled, and my thought was just, and what? Yeah. <laughs> like, and your point is, what's the what's the point here? I where's really the twist? Was like, where's the reveal? Well, what's, what's the thing? What's this film about? And it could be about like information. I found the um, uh, minor spoilers for Knock at the Cabin. If you've seen it, please skip forward two minutes. The news pieces. I told you as a tool to validate what the the four horsemen are saying was both. Confusing because I'm like, oh, that's really grounding reality, but they were completely ridiculous. I told the you, one yeah. where the wave comes across, and, that person and that's meant to be a video that's been sent to the news that looks that good underwater. Underwater, that's mad. I'm like, you said that that person had time to send it before they so got like, wiped out. This yeah, is th- at that point, I was like, it must be dream logic by this stage because that's not that's just not a thing. And then it just sort of happens, and I'm like, it's so dumb. Yeah, what I it's really I'm just irritated by. I just cannot tell you what that film's about. Thank you. I mean, I, I mean, I did, I did, like, I mean, I mean, thank you in the sense of like, I, I, I'm glad that somebody else agreed with me. I used to speak to the people who liked it. I mean, it's beautifully shot. I, I've I got think friends. it's well acted. The dialogue, I agree, is a little bit like, hey man, you're fucking crazy. 
Yeah, it's like, uh, yeah. Anyway, it's a bit GCSE. Okay. Dave Batista, fine. Dave Batista's really. Dave Batista's uh, versatile and and he's very good and he's mm. he's. Yeah, he's, he's very talented. I just didn't find it interesting at all. I thought all the things about the uh, the trope, about the gay couple not being able to defend themselves and that kind of being explored yeah, as a weird... Yeah. I th- again, I thought, is that going to be unpacked? But it, it wasn't, and, then and there's I did a find subplot, it a bit strange. That, sorry, there's a, that subplot with Rupert Grimp. You go, oh, this could... And he goes, yeah. no, uh, no, no, we're not going to go anywhere is that, that. Is that like a clue to a deeper understanding? No. Couldn't read into it. Not, don't even care to go on to like a knock at the cabin, explain deep dive video. Just strange, strange film. Don't answer the knock, that's what I say. Yeah. Okay, well, that was last week. Um, so, um, Bob Iger, Mr. Disney. Mr. I think Content. I know where this is going, because I was going to bring it up as well. Announced Toy Story 5, Frozen 3, mm. and Zootopia 2. Yeah, he announced that on the day of, or the day after, Disney announced massive layoffs mm. and one of the lowest, uh, you know, the, a dip in, uh, uh, no, uh, Disney Plus was making a loss or something. Okay, Every do not call me on information because I must have got that. I think I've got that quite incorrect. Yeah. But Google laid people off. Every tech company yes. followed suit. So Dis- Disney has laid short. off just a massive amount of people. I think about 7,000 people. And it follows, um, and, and this news came out concurrent to that. And I, so I agreed to that news with nothing more than a, a healthy dose of cynicism. And I thought, you've just done that for your balance sheet. It's to it's double g- down on yeah, the proven... Ship. We need yeah. to, you know, st- steady the ship. Let what do people love? More Toy Story. I, I hope Fine. That, that Tom Hanks and Tim Allen and co would turn around and go, nah, no more, guys. It's and done. they'll have to get a look at it. But it's, you I finished your story at three. And when I heard that, it actually made me dislike Toy Story 4 more. more. Which yeah. I don't dislike It as takes a film. the impact. I, the way that 4 took the impact out of 3's ending, this continues to take the impact out of both of those. It worsens the entire catalogue. Yeah. It so, makes Toy You know what makes Toy Story less special? Remember when you had to wait 10 years for a Toy Story film and it came out? It's like, whoa. I mean... And isn't it great that we yeah. waited so long and they used the time to like sort of make that more special for the audience? <laughs> so, Frozen 3, yeah. I loved Frozen 1. Frozen Frozen 2 was awful. I thought it was just a confusing, weird film. Not I've excited s- for a third one. Never. Frozen 1's great. You could, never, you'd yeah. love Frozen 1. Uh, Zootopia, I, I, I enjoyed it, but I don't remember much about I, it. Literally, I haven't thought about that film since 2016. Yeah, and I've not thought about it since I watched it. But yeah, it must fine. Have do you know I also well. loved as Big Hero 6? I thought they were going to do oh, more of yeah, that. Oh, yeah, have they not? They did a car- like animated series, I think, after it. But, you know, it's interesting <sighs> that they double down on... Um, you know, those very established names or Zootopia being sort of very successful first entry. Because they, I feel like they've been putting a lot of different start types of films, lots of new IP, mm. original ideas. And, you know, you had like, what are they, like Encanto? What was the oh, yeah. lizard one? The Luca? And uh, I'm Turning Red. And, but yeah. those are just... Just it's new films. They hardly broke the bank. And they sort of co- like COVID releases as well. Mm. No, break the bank. No, that's the opposite. That means to go bank. I mean, like, it hardly set the world alight. Anyway. Yeah, yeah I, I meet that with nothing but cynicism. And uh, I don't look forward to it at all. Sorry to just be negative on news, but I thought we would discuss. I've got something. Mm. Uh, we've talked about Arrival before. Mm. And a film beloved by many people, many Love listeners, it. I'm sure. You, big fan of it. How many times mm. have you seen it? Thrice. Right, wow, okay. So, uh, and if you're a devout listener to this show, I probably have mentioned this before, but I had only seen Arrival once. I thought Great it was, for a second viewing that it, film. Yeah, I thought yeah. it was I thought it was fine. I saw it at the cinema in 2016, and what had slightly spoiled it for me was yes. that I'd seen two trailers for it back-to-back the week before at the cinema. Yeah. And this was before... Actually, no, this was the moment, the definitive moment, where after this point, I stopped watching trailers for films I wanted yes. to see. I, look, I looked down at the cinema floor... 
Um, I've seen you do that. I've seen you. I've yeah. been at the cinema and George will cover his head like he's almost praying. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just, just don't know because my yeah. mind, I, I, I've, I mean, not that Creed 3 is a film I'm particularly hyped about necessarily. But you kind of want to, yeah. I might actually, but I, I saw the trailer the other day and there was a one second shot in it that I was like, Creed 3. Yeah. And I was like, that's a huge spoiler. Really? I, I know I haven't seen the film, but I was like, how, why else would that character be in that place with those people at that time? Oh, yeah. And I, I just, I just, I mean, Maybe I'm looking too keenly, but 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 anyway, back to Arrival. So that's sorry, my experience of Arrival was a complete upset. Knew nothing about right. it and had a really great time. With so, it. but anyway, so I'd seen the trailers mm. and it, and it showed me so much, and I was like, oh god, I think I've seen. I feel like I've seen everything that happens in it. Mm. And I said that to my girlfriend about three hours before I was going into the film, and she said, oh no, you haven't seen everything. It doesn't show the twist. <laughs> and I was like, there's a twist. So I went into Encanto. Um, Encanto. Sorry, I would just talk about Disney. Went into Arrival thinking about. I've seen it all and I know there's a twist. And yeah. sure enough, because Arrival is a very state, uh, you know, it's a very minimal film. Quite not grounded. A lot happens. So for so, a, an alien Arrival space film. So for example, in the trailer, they showed the explosion that happens and that's, that's like yeah. the one fireball in it. So like yeah. I've sat there for an hour thinking, when's that going to happen? Mm. Anyway, I digress. Years have passed and Evil Nova's gone off and made other films and mm. we've watched other films, etc. But cue yesterday, it was 11 o'clock on a Sunday and I thought, oh, I think I'm going to watch Arrival. God, what a, and, what a, and do you know what it is? Is that it's been dormant in hiber hey, hibernation in the morning, James. Oh, well, I was going to say, okay. uh, It was dormant in hibernation in my yeah. mind. But then because that Max Richter track was used in The Last yeah, so of I was Us, just about to say, is it that brings what? it forward into my consciousness. And then I see it on the Netflix carousel and they go, I need, I've always wanted to give that film another go. Yeah. I gave it another go and it was great. Isn't it great? It's a really good film. The way that I know that score is being used in lots of things, but that layering violin mm. and the cello that just comes yeah. on and every wave of emotion as she realizes what has been happening yeah. and the, the, it's all laid out for you you know you are seeing the flashbacks of her as she starts to understand the yeah. language is experiencing time with different yeah. i just thought i know what, what the thing kick in the stomach the thing that stood out for me was the color theory of the whole film oh god what it is is that the film is shot in very cool neutral tones mm. it's it's a bit like tar. It's like uh, blues and, and browns mm. and pale greys. And you get this for about half an hour. And then they arrive. Even, you know, the ships are very, you know, uh, monochromatic. Yeah. But when she arrives at the army centre, it's then suddenly the, the only colour that really is shown in the film is the bright orange jumpsuit that they go into. Yeah. Um, and also the, the orange light of, some of, the, of one of the chambers in the scientific complex. Right. And it's like using colour almost on a very primal level mm. as a trigger for danger and, uh, and alertness. For a, for, for a film that is very much about going back to your primary elements of language and understanding... And so I felt like I was being, Denis Villeneuve was really like conditioning you to be like, and then here's this bright orange jumpsuit for this is the, this is the tipping point where you're going to go, where you enter the jumpsuit and you go into this realm. And I just thought it was very interesting to see color used so sparsely mm. uh, in, a, in a kind of, uh, you know, space film. Um, he also does an amazing job of building suspense to that first encounter to the aliens and how minimal mm. the window is that they interact yeah. with them it's this like misty yeah. pane of glass and i thought the the design of the aliens was really original i describe it as like a sort of black hand like yes. like that like but then down. when you see sort the alien in full reveal the top yes. of it is like a shadow man like yes. you know someone in a hood like yes a, yeah i um and also the 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 fact that the language is like a statement that is read all at once like yes. it looks like a coaster ring yes um 
and it's sort of linear and neither begins nor mm. ends. Just like the only thing is, I think, is Jeremy Renner is not given enough to, to do. do in that, and I, I think yeah. there's there's just a little bit lacking in the chemistry department for us to believe at the end of the film. Fine, yeah, where that ends up. But yeah, I'm so glad I went back to that. Shocker. Uh, Hot take, everyone. Arrival's, Arrival's really, really good. good. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm based in... off a great short story, which is also meant to be a great read, short science fiction story. Could I also do something that we don't do often, which is bring up an old film and okay. talk about that? Which is, I know we've been reviewing a lot of new things recently, mm. but I had, I had one of those weekends where I had a lot of free time suddenly. Yeah. And I watched five films. I was like, great, again, smash through it. And uh, one thing I did, I had a movie trial. Oh, I yeah. got at the beginning of the year. This isn't an ad, I'm just going to say that. But like they, usually at the beginning of every year, movie lets you subscribe for three months for one pound. That's cool. And they had a film on there that I, that I bring up because we remember recently we had an email that was like, what, what happened to Joseph Gordon-Levitt? Yeah. Right. Now, when you think about Joseph Gordon-Levitt, what performances do you think of? 500 Days of Summer, mm -hmm. Inception, mm -hmm. Looper. Yep. Um, uh, Ten, things, uh, Ten Things I Hate About You. Yes. If you want to really throw back. Yeah. Um, okay, well, what yeah, if loads. I told you that I've seen a film that I think is... Joseph Gordon-Levitt's best performance. Go on. And this is not, for people who've seen this film, this is not a hot take. This is, people go, oh yeah, he's really good in that film. Yeah. That's a film called Mysterious Skin uh, from 2004. Ooh. And I, I think I erroneously Ooh. said a few months ago, a few weeks ago when we, when we did Tar, that I thought it was directed by Todd Field. It's not, it's directed by Greg Araki. So Mysterious Skin is a real interesting piece of work. And I mention it because I saw mm. it and it stayed with me and I think it's really fantastic and it's definitely got uh, the best Joseph Gordon-Levitt performance. Really? So uh, quickly, Mysterious Skin is... So Mysterious Skin is uh, based on a novel and it's about these two teenagers uh, growing up through the 80s into the 90s. Something uh, very early... This isn't a spoiler because this is it's not revealed often in, in the in the film's description because I think the, I think if, if it would put a lot of people off it if it is uh, described but this the film opens and basically one of the children doesn't remember what happens happened to him when he, in, in one summer when he was eight years old he says I had these gap I said I, I blacked out and I woke up uh, you know a few hours later with a bloody nose and the same thing happened again at Halloween and then the, you hear that perspective from another child who's like yeah when I was eight years old it was the summer where I first started my baseball league. And very, it becomes very apparent that both of them have been uh, abused by right. their baseball coach. But the film then follows them in their late teenage years, 10 years later. And you've got this um, juxtaposition where Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character uh, and Bra uh, Brady Corbett's character on the other side. Brady Corbett's character it, it doesn't remember what happened and he want, he, he can't remember and he, he's obsessed with UFO abductions. He keeps thinking, oh, I think I had this, thing, I had this gap in my knowledge. And Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character does remember and he's um, they're pursuing very different lives. And the, and the tagline is, one boy who can't, one, 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 one can't remember, the other can't forget. And it's about how it's affected them. So, so on the one hand, Brady Corbett's character is trying to hunt down thinking it's a UFO abduction and he's, he's really nerdy about it. He's obsessed. Oh, well, I, I think, I think the guy, my, my baseball team has something to do with it. And meanwhile, Joseph Gordon Levick's character, he's, you know, 17, he's gay and it's really affected his relationship with men and sex and love. And he is soliciting himself and he remembers the experience of that summer, but he has this kind of very emotionally complex, um, and, and something that psychologists have said is very true, uh, about the tale. Um, uh, you know, a relationship with what happened and, and, and his coach. Anyway, I know this is a very sudden and dark film to bring up, but mm. it's really beautifully done because you have this incredibly dark uh, story and narrative about trauma, but it's shot equally with the aesthetics of a coming-of-age film 
that it has all the romantic elements to it shoegazing music um you know pop soundtrack kind of a kind of romantic uh warm colored look at at, at life in the universe blended with this really dark uh, story and it's really really uh, powerful but i just think i just bring it up for that reason if you if you think joseph gordon levitt oh yeah he's been in a couple of good things he's all right he's really good in this film and the film itself is really really uh powerful and um it's only like 100 minutes long oh nice yeah i i, I just want to recommend that, that sounds really interesting and almost slightly ahead of its time for 2004 do, in a way do you know right? what? not that i've seen it but I just was, hearing you talking about it i was watching it and there were moments i thought euphoria has taken a lot from this yeah and that is um, the particularly with Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character and the way he, you know, the way he's soliciting himself, and there's kind of a mirror with the way uh, we see we first find Jules's character in Euphoria, and it's that mix of like narration as well. Both of them mm. narrate their lives, and it's. Do you remember in the first series of Euphoria, it would be like when I was eight years old, I, my my father, and it's that kind of sort of very polite, passive description of something quite dark and yeah. traumatic happening. Yeah. And I was like, there's definitely ingredients of that in Mysterious Skin. So if you like Euphoria and you like Joseph Gordon-Levitt, there's something in that. Fantastic. Love that. Got very dark films to talk about today. We do, don't we? We'll have a game at the end for that reason, guys. (laughs) So stick with us. We've got war and abuse coming up. Am I right? Stay tuned. (laughs) So James, over the past few weeks, we've been running through some of the Oscar nominees. And one we were both very excited for was Women Talking, which is released... Um, uh, this week in the UK, but there were some preview screenings, so you've been able to catch it ahead of me. Um, it's got a great cast by the looks of it, a, look, a really interesting premise. I really, really want to see this film. What's going on? Same. I was really looking forward to seeing it. It was one we hadn't seen. Bevin, best friend of the show, oh, really? wrote in, yes. and she said, hi, James and George. This was last week, so I saved it because we hadn't seen it yet. She said, I hope you're both doing well. I've been loving the content, and I've been sharing your pod with all of my film friends, so hopefully your Irish audience is growing. Doing Bevin, God. it is growing. I assume you are screaming at the top of a hill, yeah. going, listen to Bob Kitchen. Yes. I also didn't love Banshees of Inner Sharon, and that's okay. You're doing God's work. I was also going to do... Um, Ooh, Bevan is <laughs> yes. a place on, on earth. earth. But I, I recognise this film's going to be quite serious. So I, I didn't want to lower the <laughs> tone. E- ease you into the, uh, to the subject matter. Bevan writes in and said, I just wanted to write in because I went to an Academy Brackets Irish version of BAFTA screening of women talking this week. I'd not been following the film slash its promotion, so I had pretty much no idea what the film would be about. It started and immediately I was grabbed by the incredible characters created by such talented women. The main standouts being Jesse Buckley, Claire Foy and Rooney Mara. The younger actors in this film also gave me equally moving performances. Ben Wishaw's character broke my heart as he gave an honest, innocent performance. The relationships between the women were so comfortable. It felt like they were just seeing a slice of their life. I almost forgot this was a film at times. The music and sound design were truly excellent, as well as the costume and hair. I look forward to hearing what you guys think. Your friend, Bevin. Bevin, Loyal to the realm. Loyal to the realm of Tom Kitchen. (laughs) Thank you, as always, for writing in. Yes, I went to go see Women Talking. Wasn't playing at my local multiplex. I had to go to a cousin, pay double the ticket. I believe that. But I had the screening to myself. (gasps) So I sat there with a green tea... And they, like, you That's know, rare. Very rare. And I was slightly concerned at the you know, indication of the popularity of this film, but mm. also private screening, basically. Yeah. <laughs> and the person screens aren't huge, but you sit quite close to them. Yes. So it's still a very good... I saw men there, and mm. that, were, that was very effective as a, uh, as a screening. But yeah, Women Talking... Nominated for Best Picture. Um, it's directed by Sarah Polly, who's also adapted the screenplay. She made um, Stories We Tell, a documentary sort of about mm. herself and directing, which I haven't seen. And it's based on Miriam Taves' 2018 novel of the same name, which was in turn based on a very sad, very horrific true story from an insular, ultra-conservative Mennonite community 
in Bolivia in 2009. So although this is wow. a fictional story, and I'll get into where it sort of, you know, sort of really takes itself on, um, but it is sort of based on a very sad true story. And the basic story is, is in a very insular and shut off commune, uh, women who have been attacked and drugged in the night from sexual assaults, um, and they've been told that these visits in the night are not real, they're just the work of demons or Satan or ghosts, and that anything that you're imagining happening is just, you know, whipped-up imagination hysteria. And one night, one of the women catches a man in the act about to come and commit sexual assault. And they see him coming through the window, and because of that, a bunch of men in their little commune are sent to prison, the rest of the men as part of their society immediately go to bail them out. And that leaves this very short period of time of about two to three days where all of the women, all of whom have experienced the same sexual assault, oh rape God. at the hands of drugging. So half of them don't remember it very well. And if they do, it's sort of little details. And all of them have been assaulted at the hands of the men and they're left with this to decide what to do. And they have three options, do nothing, they can stay and try and fight for change and for, for these things to stop happening, or they can leave. So they decide to basically have a big meeting in the roof of a hay shed. This is like a sort of commune in the middle of the countryside. And they have to try and imagine a future of what that would look like if they were to leave. How would they do it? What would it do? The film doesn't specify a location or a time period, which originally I found slightly confusing because I couldn't place it. But, you know, as the film sort of ends, I realized that that vagueness reflects mm -hmm. the universal, universality of, the, of, yeah. its, of its themes and what the women know of this secular world, which is very little. There was a reference to World War II in the film, which to me kind of placed it 50s and 60s, but really it actually doesn't matter, right? Mm. It stars Rooney Mara, Claire Foy, Jesse Buckley, Francis McDormand, oh, Ben wow. Whishaw, just a a dream cast and they are all just outstanding mm. in this film. Um, I would say of the Best Picture nominations, this is easily my favorite pick wow. for Best Picture. Um, watching it, sometimes when I think about, you know, I'm watching films, I think about this show and I get a little bit lost in my own head and I'm mm. sort of like discussing the ideas. I was really just lost in its storytelling and I really wasn't sort of trying to contemplate this film as I saw it. I really was just completely engrossed and the credits rolled to uh, almost silence and I just thought, what an incredible brave feat of storytelling wow. i think i really do think it is brilliant it is a philosophical existential long talking debate about what to do a lot of these women do not even have uh, they don't know how to read or write but they know mm. religion they know the bible they do not really have the language to explain to each other what has happened they're not talk about sex they're not talk about sexual mm. assault but they all have this shared horrifying experience all of which have been sexually assaulted by their husbands by their brothers by the men in this oh, community wow. a lot of them have had children with from rape some of the women in the conversation are pregnant from uh, a sexual assault so it's everyone has this shared experience and they also have this real burden of how their religion has framed their conscience about what you should and shouldn't have done and what it means to leave. They're all very deeply religious. And one of the great hypocrisies is that in their eyes and in their religion, the only people that they can ask for forgiveness is the men that have sexually assaulted them. There's this one you know, really complex speech about, you know, you're going to be excommunicated from God. And Claire Foy has, who's, who's one of the characters who's really adamant on leaving. She's like, we can't stay. And she's got a four-year-old daughter. And she says, if I am to stay and my daughter is to face the same thing that I had, 
I am to become a murderer because I refuse to let that happen. Am I now, is that the will of God if I stay mm. here to murder? Because that's where I'm going to be drawn to. God. And if I am to die and to come to face my, for my sins, is that what's going to happen to me? And, um, you know, it's, it's a real, you know, we talked about the whale being very stagey mm. and how it's very dialogue heavy and yeah. it seems to take place in one room. This sort of one room, but the whale I almost felt was slightly confined by its dialogue heavy staginess. I thought this, this film did such a good job of giving the having the dialogue in the room give really great context to the feelings of its characters so it does flashback briefly intermittently but it's always to complement and really like support mm. what these characters are thinking and feeling and it really never felt like we were just showing you exactly how to think and feel it never really shows you the horrors of what's happened but through the use of little flashes of memory and some very evocative imagery that this film opens with you know mm. you get it there is enough given to you there for you to go, I get ex exactly what this film is doing. Um, it's very engaging. It's deeply complex. It asks a lot of really, really interesting questions within the film. Is a really deeply uncomfortable assessment of masculinity in teenage boys that I thought was so cleverly thrown in and just again, I'm still, I'm still processing how I feel about it and um, you know, I think the film is called Women Talking and we could, you know, have a look at this and go, oh, is this a really important film for women? Which it is. But I think it is just as important, if not more, for as many men to see mm. this film. And I right. know a good 60%, 65% of our audience is men and I would please urge <laughs> as many men out there to please seek out this film. I think it is really, really interesting. I think if I was to critique it, I would say maybe now I've come out of it, not in the experience I felt this, maybe in this... <laughs> you know, uh, so this film opens with a statement across the screen that says, what follows is an act of female imagination. I know it's based on a true story, but it's almost like this conversation that these women are, women are having is almost like a fantasy of what if we could articulate ourselves in this way mm. and come to this realization. I think you could almost look at this and go, maybe they are almost too choreographed in their conversation for how they've come to certain realizations mm. and it could be unrealistic. I, I, I don't want to hold it to that kind of criticism because I think what it's done is actually very subtle and nuanced and it's tackling really big ideas in a very complex mm. way. And actually, I think it's very economic with its time. Um, but I think it's I think it's really, really special. Wow. I think it's very powerful. I adored the way the film looked. It's this fantastic use of anamorphic cinematography, which mm. really... Uh, uses that effect and that framing in a way that I don't think I've seen anamorphic done before that mm. way. I think it's really, really special. I then Googled it afterwards to see like how it was shot. And it's shot on a full frame, almost photography sized sensor. So you've got that added depth of field, but with like an anamorphic mm. uh, anamorphic perspective. So it's really good at uh, showing women in space in groups. And it's quite uh, decisive and careful with its blocking. And I think it does it really well to sort of place people in the scene and really paint it across a frame it's quite hard to explain if you haven't seen it but i think when you get it, when yeah. you go you'll you'll see it there i urge people to go and see it i think i'm worried some people are going to sleep on it it's probably my favorite film of the oscar noms that's amazing wow i i i mean i was already wanting to see it but yeah. i'm completely sold now you know it, it's interesting that point you make about the men um as an as an audience because a couple of weeks ago when we talked about controversial movie opinions yeah. I, I kind of very passingly said, oh, you know, I wasn't a big fan of, of, of Promising Young Woman. And I bring that up because obviously it's yeah. you know, on the same sort of territory. And obviously it's a huge, huge, hugely complex topic and, and what a we to talk about it. But my, my, my issue with Promising Young Woman when I saw it was that I really didn't feel like it was challenging 
the male audience in yeah. that film enough. Whereas something that had followed just six months before, a uh, year before, was uh, Michaela Cole's TV show, I May Destroy You, mm. which as an audience member, each episode was, was challenged you, made you think. Yeah. And I can speak from my experience of watching that as a man. I was like, oh my God, this is so brilliant at completely, I mean, anyone who watched that TV show, but really, really making you question. Like Whereas, a really familiar story that was tragically uh, undertold. A brilliant, just a brilliant masterpiece that that tv show was i think everyone saw that thought wow i don't know what it was like watching so fresh and different brilliant brilliant and then uh, you know promising a woman i thought was just so disappointing and so just didn't Mm. execute itself well but this uh, i I agree with you it's like it's you know uh i don't know what the statistic is but i'm sure it's something like 90 95 percent of all sexual assaults are committed by men yes so um, it's by men that are closest to us right so very rarely the stranger it's usually those in our family those close to us yeah it's like yeah if you which makes it if you make a film about uh sexual assault and sexual violence you need to both challenge and mm. uh, 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 reconcile with the, the female audience and challenge the male audience. But um, brilliant. I, I can't wait to watch that and discuss that further with you. And the, uh, the idea of, you know, it being the people that are closest to us. It's like, should we not be... They have this whole conversation about looking for forgiveness and how do we frame this? Like They have all conversations about as they're actually trying to understand how gender works in their very limited language. And so Ben Whishaw is uh, a man who's the only one amongst them who can read and write. And he is there in the meeting taking minutes and he's the one that writes down what they're trying to say and how they're trying to articulate it. And he puts these ideas up on the board almost like as a record. And you could sort of get this idea that maybe he's the one that is telling the story Mm. in the future. And I was, yeah, I I was just surprised that I wasn't in my own head for the whole time. I really just let it happen to me. And then when it finished, I just got this real like triumphant feeling that that is just a really uh, great set of ideas that have been very well explored. Just to contextualize this, did you see this before or after your many jabs? After my jabs, <laughs> so maybe I completely lost it. Making the, the film is <laughs> yeah. completely different. Yeah. And you were just I was flying high, high on Japanese the- encephalitis. <laughs> Typhoid the jab. antibodies. <laughs> <laughs> Sir, you watched an advert for Pepsi and it was only three minutes long. That's where my pain. Yeah, but I uh, just picking up on what Bevan said, she was like, I almost forgot this was a film at times. Wow. I, to- I okay. totally know what you mean. Consider me um, sold. I will watch that. And please go and check it out if you haven't. If you've had a chance to see the film, please write in to hello at popkitchenpodcast.com just like Bevan did. We would love to hear your opinion on the movie. Um, I mean, like you and I know, just quickly before we move on, you and I know Claire Foy is great. Mm. But in this, I think, peak of her powers she is so so she's good. a phenomenal actress she really is like yeah. you know she was obviously excellent in the crown really good in first man first man that's an underrated yes. performance because that's a limited role where she's yeah. doing so much but she's really great in it and then here i was just like holy shit claire Foy is just going mm. and she's uh, they're all great like jesse buckley uh, jesse buck sorry really jesse buckley is an actress now when i see she's in something i immediately want to watch it yes. I just a lot of these actors i'm like they choose their films well yeah. that's and a good I'm, stew here for it and um, yeah i just want to make a quick comment about uh, i know i mentioned talked about cinematography and anamorphic presentations but it uses desaturation really well it's the thing i saw you know in emancipation and mm. it, it can be quite popular to sort of suck the color out and i thought there was this really interesting way that they use desaturation obviously the subject matter sort of 
can sometimes want to suck color from mm. a film and color is life. And they just, a lot of the film takes place in this barn and the light comes through the slats of wood, almost like prison bars, mm. but the top door of the barn is always open and looking beyond. And you sort of get this sense that even though this barn doesn't have much color, sometimes there's this glint of light and color on the horizon. You can't quite see what it is, but there's mm. this almost tease of this idea as they're toiling over it, that something beyond mm is there and something is potentially calling to them. And I was like, that is a good way to really use color as a tool to invoke mm. the feelings of your characters. And again, just uh, I should really get up the cinematographer's name for this film because I want to give them a bit of credit. Yeah, the cinematographer is Luc Montpellier, who I think has done a really great job with it. So I will be looking out for their work mm. in the future. So James, one of the big Oscar nominees that we actually hadn't seen as well mm. was uh, All Quiet on the Western Front. So you've gone and seen Women Talking, I've gone and seen All Quiet on the Western Front. Coverage. A coverage, getting your Oscar nominee coverage all right here. And I think after this review, we would have covered all of them. I think so. All of the main Best Picture nominees. You can find all those reviews on the channel, obviously. So All Quiet on the Western Front, which we have admitted we are late to. Very late. Party. We are sorry. It came out in about October last year and has, has done sort of a steady run and then has had like a second wave with uh, uh, the record number of BAFTA nominations um, and then done very well at the Oscars as well. All Quiet on the Western Front is directed by uh, Edward Berger. And it's the All Quiet on the Western Front has been made before, as we've said. It was made in 1930 very successfully. And it's based on uh, a novel from 1928, a German novel by Eric Maria uh, Ramach. And uh, apologies if that's pronounced incorrectly. It's a very famous German novel, but it's never been made in the original language. This is a novel that it was, was banned by the Nazis, is taught across Germany in schools, and it's it's one of the first and most famous uh, novels, pieces of art about uh, anti-war, about the trauma and the legacy of war, and 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 and, and how that affects soldiers, the the um, futility of war, the inhumanity of war, the brutality of war. It was all there in 1928 in that in that book. So cut forward nearly 100 years later, and we now have this big budget version of it on netflix um a two and a half hour epic and um it's set in most of the film predominantly set, is taking place in the last week of world war one right um there is a extended prologue which uh is is, is quite brilliant um it's all quite on the western front what's what's to say about it i think all quite on the western front is a solid, sincere, perfectly valid war film that at its best is incredibly cinematic and incredibly spectacular, but at its worst is unremarkable. I don't have the same thing that you had with Women Talking where you think this is my favorite Best Picture nominee. Yeah. I came away with all, from All Quiet and thought that was good. I'm a bit surprised it's in there actually. Really? Okay. Not by no means my, my least favorite nominee. I just, well, we'll go into it. Let, let's, let's talk about the good stuff. So Undeniably, this film is shot immaculately and 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 captures as, as a war film. It's funny, but sorry, everywhere it's being referenced as like, oh, this is an anti-war film, and I'm like, all films are anti-war films. Yeah. Who in this day and age is making a movie being like, we're going off to war? Joseph Goebbels. Yeah, <laughs> James. In this day and age, I said, um, but agree. It's, it's very like who's making basically um, hard-headed military. I mean, you can get complex things like. Uh, American sniper, which look at yes. war from like, but but have that kind of whiff of American imperialism about them. But but this broadly speaking, like when we talk about war films, they're all anti-war inherently, yeah. and that stems back from really cinematically, mm, the Deer Hunter, oh, what a lovely war. Anyway, 
So uh, talk about the strong stuff. It's very cinematic and it begins, and guess what? It is all quiet on the Western Front. It begins in about 1917. And obviously, immediately that thing you know, recollects, when was the last time I saw that 1917 trench warfare depicted? Mm. Uh, it, you know, it's, it was in the movie 1917. And it's a quiet forest. And it, it, it's almost silent. It makes you think that the sound isn't working. And, you know, a fox is kind of uh, sleeping in its warren. Do foxes sleep in warrens? <laughs> Who knows? And then slowly you hear the rumble of cannon fire and the rumble of, of artillery. And then you get this sort of uh, drone-like shot over frosted bodies in the battlefield. And the, you know, the, the film is incredibly gruesome and, and upfront and graphic about the brutality of war. And then you're cut into this scene of trench warfare and, and the camera is really steadily gliding through complete chaos. Um, bullets dinking through helmets left and right, dirt showering over. You, you, you know, you're completely into this. And, and you're thinking, great, this is it. This is, if you want to see a war film, this is how you do it. I'm glad this has met the demands. It doesn't shy away from that. And it has this extended prologue where it depicts the kind of meat grinder, uh, cog in a machine, uh, aspect of war and, and how things are recycled and i hope this isn't too much of a spoiler but it is the opening 10 minutes where you after this trench battle and the titles have come up saying all quiet on the western front we then cut to the bodies being uh taken to, to for mass burial and the, the bodies are stripped of their uniform and obviously this is i, I should uh, sorry in case i this wasn't clear it's obviously all from the perspective of the german soldiers mm. in, in in world war one on the western front they're stripped of their uniform, they're stripped of their, 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 their shirts and their clothes. This is then bundled up. This is then trucked off to a, you know, a, 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 a factory where they are all mass washed and mass dyed, hung up on mass in an empty bar to drip dry. Someone coming in, checking them, are they dry yet? It then cuts to a factory floor full of um, uh, sewing machines and women um, so, um, taking stitching the bullet holes back together through the through the jackets and 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 repairing the the cuffs and the scrapes and the the the, the rhythmic uh, metronomic sound of the sewing machines is made to echo gunfire and, and machine gun fire and boots are sewn up and then you are quickly then packaged back and and, and that at that point it intersects with the narrative which is four young men as we've seen before in many things, naive, young, heading off to the front line to, to be recruits and they can't wait to get to the front line. And these men are given, as they sign up, when they've passed their physical, here's your bundle of uniform. And our main character for the rest of the film called Paul receives this uniform and he says, oh, this is this already belongs to someone and it's got the name tag in it. And the guy goes, oh, sorry, that sometimes happens. It was, it was clearly too, one size too small. And he rips the label out and then you realize he's ripped out loads of labels underneath. Mm. And this our main character, Paul, is completely unaware of what happens. The rest of the narrative then follows Paul and his, and his, uh, uh, his friends in being sucked up into the, the war machine. Cue the brutality of war and very soon cutting forward to the last week, as I said, um, of, no, of that, that 7th of November, 1918. Um, so that's that that's that's the kind of the premise and 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 um, the, the war scenes and the, the battle scenes are incredibly shocking and violent and, and, and as you'd want them to be and energetic and then uh, you know the moments of peace and quiet and reflection are equally beautiful and they're at one point they're sequestered in this sort of French farmyard uh, not French Belgian <coughs> I believe French uh, French Belgian farmyard and again you get the kind of bucolic quality and all that stuff that's great. Here's my slight issue, though, with, with, with All Quiet. Or, it's not an issue. It's like why I can only go up to this film to a certain point. Mm. Um, the thing is, when you make a war film, 
uh, it's not that, sorry. It's that this film is based on a novel that came out in 1928, followed by a film that came out in 1930. Our, as as an audience, as a society, our understanding and experience of and knowledge of war since 1930, 1928, has deepened and become much more complex and advanced significantly in the intervening 100 years. Because sadly, every generation, there's a following war. The fact that the book and the previous previous film uh, adaptation came out before World War II just speaks about how much time we've passed it. And it's not that what all required on the Western Front is saying isn't valid. It's completely true. But the problem is, because we've had 100 years in between then of war, both as a real-world event and as a genre within cinema what all the quiet on the western front is saying is sadly not really that novel it's actually very familiar to an audience so when it presents you with the futility of war the brutality of war the inhumanity and conversely the humanity shown within war i go yep i have seen that i have seen that before as an audience member i'm familiar with that um all of that stuff i have seen and arguably I have seen done better in less simplistic terms in other films. Band of Brothers was one that was running through my mind. If you're going to follow a troop of, 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 of you know, soldiers through an extended period of time, obviously that was a television show and had much longer time frame to establish that. But that was a real masterpiece in, 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 in getting you under the nails of what it's like to be in a, in a, in a combat platoon. Um, you know, it, war films all changed with the deer hunter in 1970, in the 1970s and, and, but that, but you know, this idea of young plucky recruits, um, who are naive and heading off to war. I'm like, yeah, I've seen that before. I've seen it in the deer hunter, but I've also seen it in just other things. I mean, we mm. forget, I, I'm just talking about cinema, but, and, and television, but let's not forget uh, world war two video games, call of duty. Yeah. However cynical that might be in its depiction <coughs> of world war two. The fact is the you narratives with, when you're bringing it out in 2023. Exactly. Exactly. So, so my point is, when, when I'm being when it's being presented with me, it, it can never reach an upper register because I'm thinking, though this is a perfectly solid, well-executed war slash anti-war film, it's it's not really give telling me something new or unfamiliar than that I've seen before, and I think we're also as kind of as part of that that, 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 that what doesn't help that fact is that the characters in it, I was. <laughs> I was surprised at how unmoved I was. Right. You are broadly shocked, obviously, by the violence of war and broadly sad at the complete meaningless waste of life that, that war is, yeah. particularly the First World War. Um, but I was not emotionally invested in these characters because they're not really characters. They are symbols. They are reactive dummies to what is happening around. Paul is a character... I, it never felt like there's a sort of a group of five of them um, that the film follows, and I never really felt connected to either of them or sad or that something would happen. It was just kind of okay. Oh yeah, that well that, that would happen because this is a war film, and yeah, I believe that, and yeah, yeah, you, you know, you're shocked that that happened. Yeah, because I know that I know I, that happens in a war film. Um, there is a sort of separate narrative that is kind of interesting, which is Daniel Bruhl is a German diplomat. Uh, like Daniel Bruhl. Yeah, great. Good in everything, really. Yeah. Daniel Bruhl is a German diplomat who is you know, on a train meeting with the French and British delegation, predominantly French, but the British kind of at either side, uh, to sign uh, and deal with the armistice. And there's an interesting element there about how brutal the armistice is going to be in the balance of we can't waste any more lives. We've, we're losing 40,000 men a week. 
But at the same time, they're looking at the armistice and they're saying, the German people will never accept this. This is, this is too brutal. And obviously, we know from a historical perspective how brutal the armistice was and mm. sowed the seeds for what would later come yeah. with the rise of Hitler and fascism and World War II. Um, however, that na- again, that narrative, you don't really feel invested. It never really clicked for me. So as a whole, it's like... It's solid, well-intentioned, sincere, mm. perfectly valid, um, excellent scenes of, of of trench warfare that are violent and, 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 and enthralling, but uh, emotionally limited and sadly, yeah, uh, I've familiar. It doesn't mm. tread any different um, ground. And think about the subtitles as well. This is not me saying I don't like subtitles. Were they in Papyrus? <laughs> no, no, this wasn't Avatar. <laughs> so, I, so I watched this on Netflix because it's, it's a Netflix film and you have a choice between watching it dubbed in English. And I thought, no, no, I, wanna, I wanna hear yeah. this in German and I will watch it with English subtitles. I think so too. And I bring this up, this is a very technical aspect that might just be to do with the, the Netflix interface rather than the film itself. But the because most people will watch this on Netflix, I think it's worth saying. The, the, the subtitling is is incorrect and, and wrong oh. at times. There are moments when there are extras. You're aware that there are other people around. Yeah. You do not hear their dialogue, but this dialogue they say is subtitles. So you'll have two people sat in a room looking at each other, exhausted by the, the effects of war, and there'll be a couple of men outside who you can't hear, mm. and then but their dialogue will be coming up saying, well, she was a looker, wasn't she? Yeah, I told you about that. And I'm thinking, what? This is really throwing me this is yeah. not in the film equally um there'll be times when uh it's like, the thing you don't think you could get wrong really but actually yeah can, i know it but it matters because up. obviously it's subtitling is not only a way for a, an audience to you know watch another a film in a different language but obviously for a lot of people it's an accessibility issue mm. there's also times when the french delegation will speak and it will, and it will say in french and then obviously give you the subtitles in English. Right, yeah. But then when it cuts back to the German, it'll, it will say in English. And I'm like, no, it's not in English. It's in German. <laughs> Why are you saying that? It's, it's really, like, it's really confusing. Really done really um, well. uh, so that's frustrating. Um, it's interesting because when we had an email last week uh, from Germany, from our uh, North German women over yes. 40 delegation. The new audience. Um, Adriana, I believe, who said that it's been not very well received in, in, in Germany at all. And I pulled up an article, did some research, and that, yeah, German critics have really, really panned this. Really? I think they are much more familiar with the source text than we are, yeah. um, and they are therefore much more uh, uh, sensitive and, 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 and can see more closely how the film has deviated. Not that deviation is a problem, but they are just maddened by it. And there's been a lot of uh, descriptions about how cynical the film is. And this one article said that they believe the film is 148 minutes of blockbuster-compatible war kitsch that is being slapped with a title that is internationally known and guarantees prestige and good sales, maybe even an Oscar. Very cynical there. So they're saying, basically, you've taken a property that people are aware of, pumped it full of action for mass market appeal, stripped it out of any of the nuance and the the poetry and the the good writing of the novel and done a disservice to, to the original text. I can't speak to that because I haven't read it. Is it worth a watch? If you like war films, it's definitely a solid entry. But yeah. I, I'm surprised at how gushing people have come. Uh, yeah, uh, people have, have really have, gone for have, it. have come forward for it, Nominated. given how well trodden the war movie path is. Take a film like Dunkirk. Dunkirk does not make you necessarily emotionally invest in those characters. No, but what it does is approach a war film in a completely different way. Yes. 
similar but slightly to a lesser extent possible. like 1917 it's like yeah. if you're going to do a war film now you've got to do something else which is why we had that which sounds really bad like oh yeah can you um sort of give me an extra bit of spice yeah. on my war film please it's like well that's how it <laughs> I, I, I know <laughs> yeah. i know it, it sounds like really churlish but also no, it's no. like you got to remember we sadly we're living in a time where like we read there's war every day there's war yeah. on the news and mm-hmm. you've got unfortunately like it's you can't just be like oh isn't it's terrible? brutal, isn't it? Isn't it terrible? And I'm like, I, I read the news. You don't have to tell me. Like, it's, it's fucking awful. And some people are living that as a real experience and it's terrible. But I think therefore the stories and the, the way that war continues to be on our lives needs to be rendered in a, in a different way. So fine. Uh, I think, yeah, yeah, there you are. I've, I've said my piece. I can't speak for All Quiet because I haven't seen it, but I remember there was a lot of conversation when 1917 came out and Peter Jackson's They Shall Not Grow Old, which I really want to see, but mm. I haven't. Uh, did you see it? Yes, a, a really good example. Yeah, this is a whole conversation about how um, you know it's the two great wars that we had, the world wars. Like World War One was a lot harder to capture and document, yes. right? By proxy of the type of warfare that was there, and you know limitations on camera technology, and how important it is for us to tell those stories in a way that's yeah. accurate and means something. In 1917, being a being a film that was written but still documenting World War One, yeah. people were going, "Well, is this the right way to present it?" We obviously are now losing or have lost all of our first-hand accounts of mm. people who were in World War One. I. I don't hold me to that. I'm just making assumptions based on the fact that it's over 100 years old. I think there are no World War I veterans anymore. Right, and then it's like similar conversations about how we document the Holocaust, sorry, sirens are on our end, about how we document things like the Holocaust and yeah. that we're going to, at some point, run out of first-hand accounts. And I think it is, you know, obviously I've not seen all quiet, but it's interesting that the German media are having that reaction to it. Mm. And I think it does ask the question of... World War Two is presented in such a different way than I think World War One is. I'm not trying to say they're the same thing, but yeah. it's interesting that I think it becomes more problematic to try and capture the spirit of what yeah. that war is and how you tell it from both sides in a way that is yeah. accurate to that. I, I mean, it's very I mean, difficult to do that. Um, the author was writing from his first-hand experience. Yes, which um, makes a big difference. I think also there's an interesting debate about how World War One has not been commodified in the same way that yeah. World War Two was because of the time that World War Two occurred when film and other mass communication was in a much more advanced stage it was therefore uh presented in our lives i mean you know one's lives their lives Mm. uh in a very different way so you had more propaganda you had um media you had a thing right films that were coming out about uh war that were slightly pro-war but were made for mass consumption as video news pathé news yeah yeah um so uh, well, but well, yeah, World War One. The, the, they shall not grow old. If people aren't familiar. It's Peter Jackson. He he found this all this a very old archive. You know, almost like prime uh, primary source uh, film t- stock of, of World War One and, and restored, restored it and it. coloured it. And yeah. and even then, he had to intercept a lot of the footage with like cartoons. Not cartoons. Sorry, um, you know, um, sketches and drawings from the time. Which, by the way, involves painting. Although yeah. I don't have paint, but like colouring every yeah. frame of that to bring it to life accurately. Like, yeah. it's a real process. Um, but yeah, uh, so th- but that's another e- a modern example of how war, the conversation about war. I mean, uh, Ken Burns, the Vietnam War. I don't know if you ever watched that, <laughs> an eighteen-hour uh, thing about uh, the Vietnam War. But 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 that was completely fantastic. I mean, yeah. I, I've got members of my family who've seen that four to five times oh, because wow. like four to five times, not forty-five times. <laughs> But like the way, the way that that, that that series tackled uh, war in an in, in equally mm. compelling way, full of stories, it's just different now. So this isn't necessarily all resting on the film's shoulders. It's just more now a conversation about how the perception and depiction of war ha- changes and needs to always change. Interesting. Um, anyway, 
So it's in there. I think it's it, it's not my least favorite Oscar nominee. I don't think I yeah. have a least favorite as such, but it's definitely in the bottom half. Yeah. Compared to the top. If you guys have seen uh, All Quiet on the Western Front and you also have any opinions now that sort of we've managed to talk about all of the Oscar noms and you yourself have a favorite pick for what you would vote for or what you think is going to win, by all means, let us know to hello at popkitchenpodcast.com. We would love to discuss it on the show. So James, we've talked about war and abuse and assault. Very heavy. <laughs> Let's move on to slightly lighter topics, which is, of course, the emails from our listeners. Our lovely emails. If you wanted to write an email to the show, you can do by the email address I've said five times now on this episode. Hello at popkitchenpodcast.com. Just like Jack did. Jack writes into the show and says, hi, lads. Hi. Once again, loving the podcast. This may be a slightly different email than usual. Oh. Dot, dot, dot. A commission, exclamation mark. I'm a writer, predominantly a writer of poetry and short fiction. Mm. Very exciting and shameless plug. My first collection is being published this year. Jack, congrats. Well done. My writing is usually ekphrastic, which means I write from images, e.e. photography, paintings, architecture. Great word, Jack. It's a writer writing in, throwing in words like ekphrastic. I've never written from film stills, so I thought it would be fun for you both to give me a still from a film. I will write a creative response to them. This may be your favorite shot of all time, or maybe one that is overlooked, a moment of mundanity. What shot is waiting to be written on? Film and writing is ripe for collaboration. So let's see what we can do. All the best, Jack. Um, great email. Great email. Um, George, uh, a still from a movie. Well, I often, you want a poem on? I often play a little game. Not play a game, not consciously, but when it... There's oh, a yeah, honk on our own. There's a there's a big bus outside. Yeah. Um, I often play uh, when I'm watching a film. There'll often be you know fantastic cinematography, and there'll be usually one shot in that film that really strikes me. It can be not a deliberately big shot. It might not be a money shot. I'll just I'll often find myself watching a film and I'll go, oh that's a nice shot, Ooh, yeah. and I mentally think that's the best shot in this film. Mm. I'm trying to recall some that uh, I've seen, but for me, one of my favorite shots is in the Truman Show of him walking oh, along the, with the sky, touching, touching the, the sky. The first time. When, when his Stone, hand casts yeah. a shadow on the wall. And he starts to walk up the stairs. That, Great choice. Beautiful. So, so I think... Good. And you can you Clean. Could, you could cut that and frame it as an image. Oh, yeah. So Beautiful. one of my favourite stills of all time. Great yeah. choice. Let's get a poem on that. I would like the final shot of shame. A criminally under-discussed, under-seen film. That final moment on the subway when he looks up at the girl yeah. and when he, all the depth and expression in his face. The final shot... Of shame. I need to. Michael read. Fassbender's yeah. hardened, wearied face. I was worried what you were going to say then. <laughs> is hardened what? <laughs> Careful. You can uh, watch the film and find out what else is hardened in that film. Um, but yeah, that's my commission. <laughs> Does Jack have <laughs> a. Uh, he doesn't have a. He has a controversial a, a, opinion. Oh, he does have a controversial. I thought you were going to say an, an Instagram or a link to his work. Uh, Jack Bennett says, My original email was going to be about my controversial opinions. And he says, I don't think Spirited Away is all that. There's one. Well, it's been you. such a long time since I've seen it, but I'm sure I can hear about a thousand million people going, Same no. All right, what have we got next? Our next email is from Charlie, who says, Hi, lads. Wrote in before asking about Joseph Gordon Levitt and 500 Days of Summer. Well, as you know, we talked yeah. about him earlier with Mysterious Sin, which is uh, Mysterious Skin. Great film. But I've since listened to most of the episodes at least twice. Our what? episodes? Twice. At least twice? It's like. You really? Think, you know, people say, which is very cool, they go back and listen, they find yeah. the show, and oh, I think, which is really cool. There's, but to listen twice. There's more? Charlie. Wow. I mean, thank you. If you're, Charlie, hello to the second time that you <laughs> listen to if this. If you're listening to this and it's <laughs> your Maria <laughs> Rivers, <laughs> <laughs> nice, to, nice to have you back. Now he has to listen to this twice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, uh, I love the podcast, of course. Wanted to ask, maybe for a future episode, mm. what's the strongest ever year by an actor, film-wise? For example, Jim Carrey in 1994 had The Mask, Ace Ventura, and Dumb and Dumber in just Huge. one year. Any other particular strong years? Quick thing too, your analysis of Nick Cage in an old episode as he's his own thing when debating under or overrated actors is mirrored in Community. There's an episode where they study Nicolas Cage, good or bad. So your comment is perfectly accurate. Made me laugh when I heard it. Nice. Long email filled with waffle. Not actually not a long actually email, Charlie. A long email, I should Charlie, say that when it's written out, it's not. Yeah. Have a good one, Charlie. Okay, James, first of all, um, good year for an actor. I think I've got one. I don't off the top of my head, but it's interesting because it's like the, with Jim Carrey, it's quantity and quality. Like that's a yes. bit, that's like, it's very rare to have for an actor to have three mm. films like that, that we can all recall and remember. But I guess you could say any actor that's had an amazing film come out that year at the peak of their power, but I'd, I'd, I'd love to do uh, an episode on it. No, I, well, I think it's more that like, it's more like they, the timing is such that they have uh, an amazing, they, they have a, a tray Breakout. of films all coming out similar at the time. Uh, yeah. time. I This isn't the example I was going to give, but like, for example, I remember when Jessica Chastain first kind of came onto the scene. Yeah, she was suddenly everywhere. like in everything in 2011. It was like Tree of Life, yeah. The Help, um, something else and something else. Like, Jennifer remember. Lawrence had like Hunger Games wrapping up, Silver Linings, X-Men yeah, 2. Right. Yeah. But the one I that came to my mind, there are probably different ones, but the one that came to my mind was Matthew McConaughey in 2014. Oh, yes. Matthew shot. McConaughey had... Of course, Dallas Buyers Club. That was his ba- main thing he was writing yeah. back into. Physical Transformation. Physical Transformation. Uh, Oscar comeback. Winner. Oscar winning for the... Uh, uh, I, I like Dallas Buyers Club. Yes, me too. I think it's great. He's or, brilliant in it. The director of which sadly died recently, John, yes. John Mike Valet. Great. Much missed talent. Yeah. Um, I really liked Dallas Buyers Club. So he had that. He then had a month later, True Detective. Yeah. For, for uh, you know, which, which was just, again, like, as I said in that previous episode, like definitive prestige tv we at point the time to that it's like the, the 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 real the gears turning for yeah. the way we talk about tv so he had that he also had around about the same time that scene stealing moment in the wolf of wall street yeah with the chest beating right he's still a little bit wiry and skinny so, from dallas yes and you know, just, he was filming at the same time yes, he yeah. it's, and you can see it but um it's brilliant so you've got this like already in the in mm. two short months you've got like uh, uh, some of the most or still now peak McConaughey. some, some of the um um, most famous, uh, you know, roles of his were from that time, mm. and then a few months later, he he comes back in Interstellar. Interstellar. So, just, I mean, that that he's so so good in that. When yeah. he when he reads back the when he gets the voice oh. notes, the video the video messages, yeah. he's just there, full IMAX, crying. Yeah. Or that shot of him when he leaves Mer oh, and yeah. the music swells and like the sound of the engine, and he's just like numb, and he checks under the blanket to see if she's there, but she's not. It's it, that is his year. Twenty fourteen will be Matthew really McConaughey's is. year. Yeah. So God, that is a lot yeah. to come out in a year. Yeah. This next one's from Joe. Joe writes in and says, "Hello from Glasgow." Hello. Sadly, a previous emailer beat me to the longtime listener, first time caller introduction. But oh well. Love the podcast. Couple of questions I'd be interested in hearing your opinions on. Number one. I've always wondered how the MCU evolves with the comic books, brackets having never read any comics. Basically, do all the stories that have been made into films already exist as a comic in some way? Are comics in a completely different universe? Are people now writing comics based on the films and progressing the stories in the hope that they are picked up and turned into films? How does it work? Genuinely something I have no clue about. would be interested to hear your thoughts. Side note on Marvel, also slightly disagree with the current assessment that the recent Marvel films are directionless. Having only watched them all for the first time this year, wow. 
Whoa, whoa! In one year, all I mean, the episodes. I mean, it's possible. Watched them all for the first time this year. Okay, I don't feel like the first few phases of Marvel films really seems like they were building to much. Many of the films were very separate, and maybe only a few films mentioned the Infinity Stone slash Thanos before Infinity War and Endgame. Yeah. Whereas we have now had multiple films slash TV seasons all building around story around the multiverse slash concept of time with Kang already identified as the main baddie. And then he's got his second point. But just on Marvel, so on comic books, did you read lots of comic books growing up? No. I read very I, few. I, I had a, I'd say a six month period where I read Essential X-Men and Wolverine and Gambit. And this yeah. is, I'm talking 2004. I, I did a decent amount of Spider-Man and X-Men, but never jumped fully, a bit of Fantastic Four, but yeah. never was really, I could never call myself like a thing. So on... Do they just, do other films just basically uh, I mean, taking from comic books? This is beyond my knowledge of how the MCU works, but like initially at least, yes. And if not, then they'll take characters and then they'll take elements of the story yeah. over here, a story over there. Like Civil War was it's a, a very, very famous. famous yeah, yeah. The, all the multiverse stuff exists in its own way. And you can look at the very broad strokes Secret of that invasion. story. Yeah, broad strokes of that story and go, oh, that's what they're doing. But they do do it in their own spin yeah. with their version of the Iron There's Man. Not, their version of Thor exactly. is very different to any uh, other Avengers version. Endgame does not exist as no. a issue that you can pick up and read. It's not a direct But Thanos collecting Infinity Stones yes. is part of his shtick. Yeah. That's kind of what it is. Um, um, I would I would say they probably definitely are writing comic books now with the hope that they get picked up yeah. in films. That would easily be it. I, I think, you know, a lot of people go, oh my God, they're doing this film. Have you seen how it happened in the comic books? This is what's going to happen. And you can say, yeah, that kind of is, but not, yeah, but also, not really. Yeah. So yes and no. Um, and then current assessment. We, you and I have talked about some Marvel films feeling directionless, but it's interesting uh, to compare them to the early stages, which I, I almost feel like is it's just like comparing but, something. But, but the thing is about the early stages is that they had nothing preceding them. So it was like, um, it, it, whereas now- You've got the direction it was going before, and now you've got before and after. We're in the middle, yeah. but before they were still in the launch phase. So you, 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 your your memory of of where these characters were go, only went back one or two films. I do think they they missed a trick by not taking a beat after Endgame. I think we've all had oh a post God, yeah. Endgame adrenaline dump. Yeah, it's like you've just had this amazing, uh, you know. Yeah final of your basketball match and all your team is really excited you're just like immediately jumping into the I next know. season it's like can you not just when let me that, have yeah. a summer when has that ever worked you always need time off just get just yeah. give it bro i really think they missed a trick by by not doing that even between infinity war and endgame when they did captain marvel i was just like can you not just you've just had a really cool ending of infinity war like yeah. half the heroes are gone yeah I, you should have put captain marvel out before let me just sit for a year for once instead of releasing three films a year you are releasing the two biggest yeah, films but, of all time but you're also then asking a company to basically not Stop make making money not make 500 million dollars yeah. how much it's you know gonna make. next yeah. is it next week or the week after we'll have uh ant-man and the wasp quantumania and i so yeah you and i talked a bit about the trailer feeling a little bit rubbery i, d yeah. I don't really know what i want from that experience like, yeah, yeah. i know kang is going to be a part of it but i'm like I just kind of want to be entertained and laugh. Yeah. Anyway, right. next point from Joe. It's, we feel mixed about it, Joe. We feel mixed. Uh, listening to your recent Oscar podcast, you can go check that out on the feeds, uh, and your discussion of Django had me wondering about your views on Tarantino and the violence depicted in his films. Oh, big, right, big, go, yeah. big fan of Tarantino films, but I've always found the discussion and accusations around his potential glorification of violence in films interesting and how this reflects on him as an individual, including his reaction when asked about this. <laughs> Never something I've particularly had a problem, that, problem with. The only film that has ever sat slightly uncomfortable with me 
is Django. I understand the need and importance of highlighting the terrible, terrible violence endured by slaves, but something about giving this issue the Tarantino treatment to generalize the over-the-top over and verging on comedic depiction of violence has never sat too well with me. What do you guys think? Keep up the good work. Love your non-pretentious yet detailed and insightful analysis oh. of film and TV from Joe Kiss. Uh, thank you, Joe. Uh, that's, that's really kind. And a really good point about the violence. The debate about violence in Tarantino is as old as his films I'm are. I'm shutting your butt yeah. down. And th there's a reference to that famous Christian Gurumurthy uh, interview from 10 years ago about when he was doing, when he was doing press for Django. And the yeah. thing is, if you go look at that back, Christian, Christian Gurumurthy in particular yeah, was deliberately oh, pushing, uh, pushing for a, a, a reaction there. Not that his questions were necessarily invalid, but it was just the way it was went about. But anyway, his Robert Downey one is worse. Yeah, I that think so. That one was really yeah. off. Um, okay, we're done here. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just on like the Barbara Waters like kind of element. Yeah. Uh, Sorry, what are we doing here? Yeah. Anyway, um, <laughs> so with the violence of a Tarantino, it's a tricky one because one argument is that you can tell in Tarantino films that the, the violence is aestheticized in such a way, but not... Fe <laughs> It's like, is it is it fetishizing it in the way it's made it make it look appealing, or is it just done in a particular aesthetic and style? But mm. but is it actually? Um, there's no the violence in Tarantino films is usually so over the top and ridiculous that like it's, its own brand. So of violence. Kill Bill and Inglorious Bastards, like it's so cartoonish in its own way that it's it's clearly cinematic in a fabrication. In his earlier films, like Reservoir Dogs, is different. But one thing people forget is that like the torture scene with with Marvin the cop. You don't see the bit mm. with the with the um, grievous bodily harm, right? Yeah. It's in there, and 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 but that's I was going to say that's fine, but it's like that's okay because that's using violence to shock in that. Whereas Tarantino often uses violence in a different way, which is to almost be like it's almost funny, it's almost ridiculous, especially in Kill Bill with like the the excessive spraying and the and the ridiculousness of it. Um, I think also the thing is like these films aren't for children; his films are for adults and yes teenagers watch them before they they should do but it's like i think i, I there's never been a point where i've seen violence in tarantino's films I'm, I'm worried that people would think oh my god that's that's not how you conduct yourselves i think there are many other films that that, that, that do that i also think tarantino does quite a good job of indicating to the audience that you're jumping into his crazy world yes like inglorious bastards it's a heightened version of world war ii based yeah. on reality but they also kill hitler and like machine gun yeah. his face into the ground yeah. with django django is obviously dealing with slavery yeah. but it's also weirdly humorous and funny yes and there's this very horrifying line between the sort of slightly quippy humor of a character like calvin candy mm. and Django, who's almost this large in life sort of completely unrealistic character that would never really exist mm. and the horrors of the slaves underneath a character like calvin Candy. you know this is the moment when um Django's wife is in the hot box yeah, and there's all the the, these like crash zooms and yeah. whips and this and it's almost like in the really funny kkk scene with jonah hill well that's like yeah which is classic it, it's like the violence in Django's it, it that when it wants to show the violence of the slavery and the violence against our heroes, it's, it's horrible there. and it's 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 violent and it is shocking. When it when it's Django committing violence, it's yes. cathartic, it's empowering. It's you know, say goodnight, Miss Laura, and she gets blasted like across the room. It's someone's head getting exploded. And the tension of the scene when Leo smashes the skull and yeah. throws it and bleeding. Like it's it you're in you're in Tarantino's hands and yeah. it's his world. I think I think if we he was doing you know a really grounded version of that story yeah it would i would feel different about it but i'm sort of relinquished into his world and i'm almost now prepped for it when i go into yeah exactly those are the colors he paints with the but i do agree i mean my least favorite tarantino film apart from maybe death proof 
I've only seen that once, but it is, it's, it's the hateful eight. And I have a real yeah. problem actually with the violence in that, particularly at the end, because it takes a while. And then I, I, I really it. feel like that film is heading in a direction where Daisy Domingue is going to be the outright winner. And, and, I, and I was, it, there's a point where it's kind of heading that way. And I think that is brilliant. She's outsmarted all these men, these violent, impulsive, like ape-like men. Yeah. And then it, at the very end, they go, nope. And they murder her in this really brutal way. And, yeah. and the joke is like, not frontier justice, you get it. But the way that Tarantino films that, it, like the camera enjoys watching these maniacal laughing uh, Samuel L. Jackson, is it Walton Goggins at that point? Like, yeah. like hanging and, and lynching um, Joseph Jason Lee's character, Daisy John McGoo. And And I was just like, I'm not comfortable with that. I think that's, it's like quite it's misogynistic in a way it's, sure. I, I don't like the way that that violence has been framed against a woman it's, it, you, you're smarter than that, that Quentin I think I also think Tarantino should be a bit less prickly about talking about it <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm sure he's just really bored of discussing it and that's why but I but, think uh, yeah he, he should be he should sort of go hey look this is why and this is what it is and it's my style. I also think that, like, he's probably thinking there's just as much violence on the news and in the real world than, yeah. like, my my cookie, my, my weird um, uh, candy red version of blood. Violence is an extreme of humanity, so is love, so are all the things we write about and yeah. watch. Good question, though, Joe. Great question. Okay, next question is from Sean Ryan, who says, podcast question, death row. Oh. Gentlemen. I have, have you had that before? That's nice. Gentlemen, Gentlemen. yeah. Just to start off, I'm a huge fan of the podcast. I'm a bit of an addict. Don't judge me. Thank After you. finding you on the social media platform that shall not be named. TikTok. This is my first time writing in. That's great. Glad to see you're hooked. Yes. Get it into your veins. Give you the free stuff. Um, so imagine this. You've been sent to death row for a controversial opinion on a much beloved popular movie. Of course. Let's pretend you have controversial opinions. Well, we, we do. We, we throw them out there. We don't play it safe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. What would be the last movie, only one movie, mm. and one TV show to watch while you enjoy your Ooh. final meal? You can't cheat and pick something like the Lord of the Rings trilogy, i.e. three movies. You can only pick one movie. Um, What's the longest TV show? <laughs> so I can get? For example, my father chose, tra um, he's put trains, planes, and automobiles, but it's planes, trains, and automobiles. Okay. Unless this is the Aldi knockoff version. <laughs> where It's like, hello, this is the planes, the you trains. something that is really hard to find. It takes them years. <laughs> Um, as his movie and Only Fools and Horses as his TV show. Okay. My mother chose Some Like It Hot as her last movie and Lost as her TV show. I mean, great great nice, film choices yeah. there. Lost is not a bad show. Okay, sorry. Lost. And then finally, what would your last meal be to pair alongside your entertainment? Um, P.S. Big fan of your photography on both of your personal Instagram accounts. Well, thank oh, you. Thank if you, you guys know, below. James and I are, are we do like mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. take photos from Sean in Ireland. I can only assume that like the carrier pigeons that Bevan has sent out <laughs> yeah. has arrived. And he's thought, what's the this? The leaflets she throws yeah. on the top of the hill. Like, you know in Dunkirk when he, gets, he catches the flyer? Oh, yeah, yeah, it's just yeah, me and yeah. you with our thumbs up. <laughs> okay, so so James, it's last meal. You yeah. get to watch a film of your choice and a TV show of your choice. Sure, what? I actually don't mind Lost as a shout, even though that show really falls off. A, it's long, extra, <laughs> extra days on this planet, and Lost covers a lot of themes of life mm. as like a way to sort of end. And you know, the ending is kind of like a big sort of, oh, yeah, we're yeah. all dead now, aren't we? Kind of thing. Uh, TV, sh uh, what do I think for a real TV show? Uh, go, maybe a comedy, I'm about to die, Seinfeld. It's sort of quirky and irreverent. Okay. It's sort of like not really too up its own ass. You just meant, sorry, talking about sitcoms and death. 
I just realized, I think I was more moved by the end of Blackadder than I was yes. by All Quiet on the Western Whoa, Front. I know what you mean. Do you know the story about how they had them at the end of Blackadder? With that the puppies. Running. They ran out of budget, didn't they? Yes, and they did. They shot that in regular motion and it looked really awkward and really weird and it really gave away the fact that they were in a studio and they were like, God, this is such a bad note. And then they just decided to put it at half speed. You'll notice it's a slow motion shot that wasn't shot in slow motion, yeah. so it's very framey. But yeah. they kept it in and they like that really works and they play the music and, and the they poppies. cut to the yeah. yeah. Brilliant. Um, film. I would... Yeah. God, that's a really good one. I, how I mean, do that you is sum the up? question, isn't it? What film do you want to be having with your glass of red wine, if that's your choice? Have you got one to mind? I mean, my immediate knee-jerk reaction was to be like, before sunset, yeah. there we go, put me there. But before sunset, for reasons we talked about on our bonus episode, go if you haven't listened to it yet, is a little tense. Yeah. And do you know what? Purely because we mentioned it earlier... I could easily go with The Truman Show. Yeah. Because The Truman, Truman Show is, a great is shout. metaphors for life in Beyond there. the end, moving on to and a higher realm. As I've talked about, there's something, I find that ending so moving. And it's like, it is about, it's something existential about the end. Mm. Him touching the, it's literally like him t- touching the face of God. Yes. Because he's great confronting shout. the nature, the limits of his reality. And, and I think I would be, Happy with that, thinking, well, in case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Oh, yeah. Um, as for a TV show... Go- snap your neck. <laughs> Please. <laughs> no, I think it's going to be Firing Squad for me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, if yeah, I we get to choose the last meal and choice of death? No, it, it depends. It's like the menu. It depends on the day. It's like <laughs> yeah. Monday, Firing Squad, Tuesday, yeah. Hanging, yeah. Thursday, Electrocution. Um, and then you're TV show? I That's don't it. know a, a TV show. I think I, I, I really, I don't hold on to or categorize TV shows mm. in the same way that I do films. I don't have the, the recall to be like, that's the TV show I return to the most. Um, you, uh, yeah. Grey's Anatomy, keep me around forever. <laughs> They're still making it. So I'd be like, what? You got to, sorry. Ellen Pompeo's leaving, finally. She's leaving the show, but the Grey, show's going on. Is that, I mean, the show will always go on, but oh, like good. for at least a season or two, yeah. and then they'll be like, we need to reboot this. <laughs> Um, anyway, there you go. So I think that would be mine. And the meal to go with it, good mm. lot. I mean, we could be here for hours I talking know, about this, God. but I feel... Let's not okay. do three courses, just one course, one main. I would choose the Polish dish that my family has at Christmas. Oh, that's lovely. With a glass of red wine. Oh, yeah. Mine's like probably roast beef with red wine or like a fillet of beef or like mm. a Dover sole with oh, like a bernoisette yeah. and like creamed spinach and oh, chips yeah. potatoes. Wow. And just like when they pour it on. And then like a, with the with the fish, I'd have white. Yeah, yeah. You know? And then they just just as I finish the last thing, just shoot me in the back of the head. <laughs> just as your just go. as your saliva dissolves the last bit of flavour. Yeah. Good afternoon. You, you, good evening. Go, <laughs> you don't even notice it. It's yeah. like the electrode that um, they use in No Country for Old Men. It just goes straight through your yeah. skull. This yeah. is a very violent episode. <laughs> well, I don't know what's going are, on. We are fine. Right, next, 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 next email is from Simon. <laughs> I just got so tired. Yeah. Next email is from Simon. As my life ends, <laughs> I. Want to have for Charlie listening to this for the second time. Jesus, yeah. man. <laughs> I hope you're prepared. <coughs> Simon says, hey guys, fairly new listener, but loving the pod so far. Keep well, up the great content. Welcome. Welcome, Simon. Yep. I, just got back, I just got back from seeing The Fablemans and I thought it was one of the most enjoyable films I've seen in a long yes. time. Please go and check out our Fablemans review. It's not often I leave the cinema with a huge beaming smile on my face and I found myself laughing out loud and smiling during mm. most of the movie. The only thing that took me out of the magic was the comical bullies that yes. I believe you also mentioned in your review. Yes. It felt like Spielberg was suffering a hangover from West Side Story when he wrote them in and expected <laughs> them to break out into song and dance. They, they do seem a bit like that, don't they? Yeah. They are a bit, yeah. Uh, I was practically, uh, you know, I, I, like watching the film, I was like, 
like, oh, they're fine. And when I'm seeing little clips of them, I'm like, yeah, there's a bit. Yeah, they're a bit. Hey, Poindexter, get out of here. Hey, Mr. Bagel. (laughs) He's Uh, going, hey, that's Timmy Timmy. He's going with Shirley Collins from around the corner. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, uh, I was practically giddy when I realized the cameo at the end of the film. I won't say who in case it's yes. a spoiler, which leads me to my question. What do you feel is the best cameo you've oh, seen in a film? God. In my unpopular opinion, Shawshank Redemption is not a great film. And what? saying it's your favorite film is like saying vanilla is your favorite ice cream flavor. Simon, Amsterdam. Okay. Amsterdam, welcome to Amsterdam. Uh, welcome to Amsterdam. First I kind of know, I... know what you mean. I feel like, look, it, I'm, I'm the Shawshank thing. Shawshank is a great film. Well, we'll get back to the rest of it. Shawshank is a great film, but I know what you mean by saying... It's my favorite film. It is a bit like saying, yeah, cool, great. What else have you got to say? Yes, but I I don't want to to be mean. No. To anyone who likes Shawshank. It is, is, I think, taking the favorite thing out of it aside, he says, Shawshank is not a great film. Great is in inverted commas, it is. It is a great film. It is. It's incredibly universal. And and, and and it's a touch point. And I really think that like, it's a, if someone said to me, it's kind of a deal breaker film. If someone said to me like, I really hate Shawshank. I'm like, what are you hating in there? Because there is so Break much. It down. It's, it's given you a lot. That film's given you a lot and in an easy way to engage with it. That isn't stupid. You know what? You know what it's I emotionally agree. accessible. It's culturally yes. accessible. It's kind of shot very well. And acted very well. Here's the thing. Like, like you can say Shawshank's your, your favorite film. And my comment is, oh yeah. I'm not gonna be like, oh yes, of course. Yes. Like, I'm not gonna wanna unpack it with you. Yeah. Which is, I think, why it doesn't force me to go, like, yes, let's talk yes. about why. Which I think someone could mention other films and I'd go, oh, interesting, mm. tell me more. It's a bit of a, like, a lot of people have that opinion. But, but a lot of people have that opinion for a reason. I mean, I remember yeah. when I first watched The Shawshank Redemption when I was 13, I thought it was Whoa. fucking brilliant. Yeah. I mean, you do when you yeah. first watch it. Let's not take that away. I, I should rewatch it. I'd love seen, to rewatch it. I think I've only it. seen it once. And I will, you know what, I'll come out way at the end and I'll go, yeah, that's a good film. Yeah. That's a bloody good film. Yeah. It's, I will go I'm from Shawshank and, and, and how it makes you feel, you go off and you discover better films that become your, your, your yes, thing. Yeah. There is nothing wrong with vanilla. <laughs> I, I also think I don't think it's. I knew that quote was coming. Um, I bloody love vanilla. No, I don't. I, I think I don't think Shawshank is vanilla. I think that's. I think that is doing it a bit of a no, disservice. I, I, no, no. Okay, no, that's kind of what he is kind of oh, saying. Wait, no, saying, and saying he's, like, uh, he's not saying it's vanilla. He's saying it's like saying vanilla is your, your favorite, favorite flavor. flavor. I see what you mean. I see that with now it being a great film and it being your favorite film is two different issues. I agree. If someone said to me like mm. Shawshank's my favorite film, I'd be like, well, yeah, it's sure. like yeah, yeah, of course. It's like the most popular film ever, isn't it? We're the, dwelling on it. The Godfather is rated the most highest rated film yeah. ever, but it's like, but well, I, it would, it's like a it's like a Gen X dad being like, yeah, Godfather Part Two is my favorite film. It's like, okay. yeah, Baby Boomer Dad, yeah, yeah. But if, yeah, Baby yeah if someone said that oh, Godfather is my favorite film, like that's good. I've I I have also seen a movie. Um, <laughs> yeah. We're dwelling on this way this too much. Way too just, long. Let's go back up. So Fableman's a best ca- best cameo. Oh. Uh, we did we did. An episode way back yeah, about cameos. Yeah, really early Really on. early back. I talked about how um, one of the most distracting cameos, not intentionally, is Donald Trump in Home Alone 2. Yeah. Because it's impossible, yeah. it's impossible to ignore that and not completely rip you out of the film. But good cameo. I don't like Tarantino's I, I, ones. I don't like M. Night Shyamalan's ones. No. His ones are always just like, please, he's, he's in uh, Knock on the cabin. cabin again. And he loves it. He's in it for oh, uh, he's in it for longer than he should be. Longer than he should be. Um, um, you know what? Just, just go, just, go, just go to the episode. Sorry, I can't, I can't think of a lot. The other guy listened to it like three times. So you can get away with <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, you can come back. Next email is from Sam who says, hello, fellas. 
Love the pod. Highlight of my week and never missed an ep. Love it. That's loyal and I like it. Yep. Especially love the debate over Hacksaw Ridge. Personally, I'm a fan. We yeah. have discussed. Look, we've gone over <laughs> it. But it's my thing about All Quiet when I'm like, I'm a bit surprised how much people love this given how like, yeah, it's a war film. It's mm. like even more so with Hacksaw Ridge. It's like, people love this film that much. I'm, okay. It's like, I've, there are other war films. People are coming out. Anyway, my question is, if you could only watch the films of one actor slash actress for the rest of your life, mm. who would it be? Oh, hypotheticals today. I think we might have had this question before a long time ago. My friend says Tom Hanks. I'm thinking mm-hmm. Tom Cruise. Mm-hmm. Purely for rewatchability and variety. E.g. Rain Man, Risky Business, Tropic Thunder, and of course, all the action. Plus, The Last Samurai is a goddamn slapper of a film. Cheers. P.S. Any live podcasts coming soon? Um, about the live podcast, I, 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 to, I'm flattered that you think we're in that league. Sam, our audience isn't big enough. Yeah. <laughs> um, we it sounds like yeah. a great by live. I assume you don't mean like live on the internet. I assume you mean like in a in an auditorium with, with people turning IRL. Up. Yeah. Um, sounds like a great idea. Maybe one day. Keep 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 the fire burning, and one day it'll Send happen. And we'll invite you. Send this podcast out to your friends. Hey, yeah, that's it. If you want us to do live ones, keep spreading the word and eventually it'll happen. Spread the word. So an actor, an actor, if you could only watch the work of one actor. I mean, Tom Hanks, you'd have to watch My My Name is Otto. A man called Otto. A man called Otto. Yeah. That shows how- Tom Cruise has, Tom Hanks, sorry, has made some questionable, has made some duds. I think- But um, he's made a lot of good stuff. But well, this person doesn't release many films, but I think Leonardo DiCaprio would be a good shout. He works with the best directors, and he mm. is very good in those films. But he doesn't—he doesn't put out a lot. Like he takes sometimes like three-year breaks where you don't really see him for a while. What about Brad Pitt? Brad Pitt also good. Brad Pitt produces a lot of films that he also stars in. So you could get like you could piggyback. Years as well. Yeah, like you could piggyback on a lot. But so then like, you're also going to get Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Yes. Yeah. Like, but that's variety. It is variety. Like Bullet Train's different to. Seven that's different to Snatch. Snatch. Yeah, that's not a bad shout. He's in Thelma and Louise and he's in True Romance as a small part. What about Meryl Streep. Yeah, you, you you could I mean you've got your Mamma Mia's, you've got your It's Complicated, yeah. you've got your Viola um, Davis, like she does interesting work. She career can, has not been long enough as like you, you know what you yeah, want? Deer Hunter. You want like the, an Octavia Spencer, someone who's in a load ooh, of films. A Michael Shannon. Yeah, Michael Shannon. Yeah. That's it. You think like, so? Because you, you you don't want your leads because Michael Stuhlbarg. Michael Stuhlbarg, <laughs> yeah. yes. Yeah, well you don't think leads. Forrest think, Whitaker. Yes. Think, you want to think really great supportings. Yes, that's a really good it's, point. You don't go, you for, don't the go for the leads. Yeah. Michael Shannon's a good one. I think I'd yeah, say- comic book film. I'm thinking of Arrival with <laughs> Stuhlbarg and, and Whitaker. Yes, but think about yeah. it, they've been in loads. Yes. That's where I'm leading for. Yeah, I would go for Michael Stuhlbarg. Yeah. Lovely. This last one is from Kai, friend of the show. Kai writes in and says, Hi guys, I wanted to ask a question about The Last of Us on HBO. Do you think the show is ironically reanimating the dead corpse of the zombie genre? I like what you did there. <laughs> the genre has seemed to rise and fall in recent years. Correct me if I'm wrong. With the popularity of The Walking Dead and a general oversaturation of zombie media in general. The Walking Dead was always referred to as a soap opera with zombies, jokingly, mm. but unfortunately became exactly that as it crawled towards its far of an ending. Although the Walking it's far to an ending, did it say? Yeah, <laughs> crawled towards, there's lots of zombie uh, little references to this. Although The Walking Dead made shallow attempts to place humanity as the real threat in their world, The Last of Us moves beyond what is threatening its characters and instead wants to focus on what they live for. It is not about surviving in a world ravaged by infected. It's about the connections you live for and there just happens to be zombies. Anyway, what do you think about the, ses- the success of The Last of us is the genre back or is this a one-off exception in the genre's general decline okay i don't i mean think about i haven't seen the walking dead 
yeah, I'll just get to that. With The Last of Us, like we do talk about it every week. Yeah. I don't have any, I don't think we have We're anything gonna, more necessary no, to say about it right now, but like good. it's very good. Um with The Walking Dead, I did watch six seasons of that. Oh, six wow, that's more full than I seasons. And there was a good amount of time where I really liked it. And I thought it would it would do like one to two episodes of really naff writing, naff dialogue. Then it would have a, a story arc that'd be really interesting, and it would have breakaway episodes, bottle yeah. episodes. And there was one episode that came out not long after The Last of Us, which basically took... There's a level in The Last of Us where, I think if I remember this correctly, someone's got to be very quiet in a, in a, in a setting where there's lots of other bad things happening. And, and the, but that, that describes the whole game, actually. But, yeah. but, but there's a, like, it's almost shot for shot done in, in The Walking Dead. And I was like, that was in The Last of Us last year. Right, okay. Anyway, um, uh, the, anyway, The Walking Dead, I jumped off when Negan arrived because it just became just unrelentingly grim with absolutely nothing to give back to the mm. audience. And I just, and it started to act like it was high drama. And I was like, no, this is a zombie show. Don't forget that. Anyway, is it going to, is the zombie craze back? Um, no, not, I don't think so. I think it's done, but I think The Last of Us is very smartly couched it in a completely different way in the same way that it's like purposely framed it kind of differently i think yeah like, even with its opening that was like a pandemic outbreak i still think it's kind of it's more like, like i mean episode yeah. three in a way it sort of rested its characters yeah but that is that is exactly when you say you know it's about the, the whole show is about you know you find something to keep fighting for it's like a direct line from from the game yeah. it's like that is what it's about i think the last of us came out when the zombie genre was starting to feel a bit tired. I remember that conversation was like, oh, are they really doing another zombie game at the mm. time? And I remember part two came out. It was like, are we really interested in this? But like, it continues to and kind of- like, yeah. It's like, fuck yeah. But it continues to kind of tell interesting stories within that. And it was always like, oh, they're not zombies. They're infected. Mm. They're the infected. Yeah. It's like, they're zombies. It's like 28 days later. They're, they're just like... fungus, fungus zombies. Did you not... ever see 28 weeks later? No. No, me neither, but yeah. I feel like I might do. I watched 28 Days Later recently. Days. Oh, I did you? I can't remember if I said this to you, but like, that's only like a 90 minute movie. Maybe, yeah. Maybe a hundred minute. And I'm like, that would now would just be the first three episodes of a, a TV show. show. 100%. Because it's very episodic. It You've really got the first is, yeah. bit with Killian Murphy wandering around in London. Yeah. The second bit with Brendan Gleeson. Isn't that and, interesting? And then the third bit with Christopher Eccleston. And I'm like, these are three distinct episodes. Yeah. Pre-TV. Pre-explosion like explosion of TV. You watch 28 Days Later now, you're like, yeah, this is, I mean, the way it's shot and everything, it's like quite lo-fi. Lo and Very low budget, yeah. 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 But um, interesting question. Yes, interesting question. Thank you so much to everyone who wrote into the show. We absolutely love hearing your emails. If you wanted to send in a question to the show, you can do by emailing hello at popkitchenpodcast.com. Okay, George, we have reached the end of a sort of weird mix of emotions mm. episode. We yes. very depressing, a little bit of uplifting. Like, what would you do if you had to die? What would you want? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, I hope we're all okay. suffering for you all today. Spring could really come sooner. Um, we're going to pick up on a game we played last week, which is you have to guess the film based on one word. Okay. This is kind of like really bad therapy. It's like 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 mind association. Okay. <laughs> like I, I want to know how you're doing just based on one word. Okay, so I'm going to read. <laughs> yeah, Skyfall. Skyfall. M, bitch. <laughs> okay, Georgie, you ready? I'm going to read. Uh, two again, rounds. Because I opened the barn door. <laughs> yeah, it's so creaky. I need to get some WD-40 on it. Um, so I'm going to read one word and you have to tell me what film it belongs to. Okay. I'm going to do two rounds. Okay. okay. You ready to go? Okay, you have to guess the film based on just one word. Okay. Ready? Three, two, one. Prawn. Uh, District Nine. Corpse. Bride? Corpse Bride? Swiss Army Man. Ugh. Yeah. Tesla. Uh, Prestige. Cassette. Guardians of the Galaxy. Yes. Clone. Attack of the Clones. No, it won't be that. 
It won't be Attack of the Clones. No. It will be AI. Us. Oh. Virus. They're not clones in us. Anyway, uh, uh, they are, aren't they? Virus. Sorry. Um, virus. District 9. Parasite. No, uh, I'm thinking of the antonyms game. Uh, uh, virus. Virus. 28 days later. Contagion. Uh, not bad. Amputation. Uh, Forrest Gump. 127 hours. Oh, God. Chikatita. Tell me what's wrong. Um, ABBA. <laughs> Uh, Mamiya, <laughs> Anaxunamun, uh, the mummy. <laughs> That's not one word. <laughs> Anaxunamun is not one word. Decapitation. 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 Uh, uh, um, uh, 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 Sleepy Hollow. Hereditary. Ah, uh, that's <laughs> pacifist. With Vin Diesel. No, pacifist. That's the pacifier. <laughs> um, the pa pacifist. Uh, Hacksaw Ridge. And last one. Poker. Face. Uh, no, poker, uh, poker, Casino Royale. Yes. Oh my God. <laughs> I love my brain. My brain's getting confused with all the- <laughs> Finishing the lyric. Abba, <laughs> my brain is confused with all the other games we play. I know. <laughs> You're trying okay. to find the opposite. Okay. Cast. All right, ready? Second round. <sighs> yeah. You have to guess the film based on just one word. Ready? Three, two, one. Gorilla. Planet of the Apes. King, uh, King Kong. King Kong. Hawaii. Hawaii. The Descendants? Yes. Wolves. The Grey? Yes. Wow. <laughs> Ballet. Just Black Swan. Yes. Plates. 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 Smashing plates. Um, the Godfather? 500 Days of Summer. Uh, check. Check. As in to write a check. Come on. Catch me if you can. Yes. Blackjack. 21? Yes. Wow. Pregnant. Juno. Yes. Pageant. Carrie. Little Miss Sunshine. Ugh. Cornetto. Uh, Shaun of the Dead. Yes. Fibonacci. Fibonacci sequence, the Fibonacci sequence. What's it from? Oh Christ, my brain. The Fibonacci, the Fibonacci. It's not Inception, the Da Vinci Code. Ah! There you go, George. Is that you it? failed your psychological exam. Oh. I'm gonna you get you sectioned. <laughs> Man, you can come and take him away. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Pop Kitchen. We hope you enjoyed it. And if you're listening to it for the second time, hey. thank you again. Guys, it's been a bit of a heavy episode. Thanks for sticking with us to the end. There'll be more light soon, literally because it's getting later in the year. Don't uh, forget, uh, we try to produce new episodes of this show every single Wednesday. Apologies, as always, if they're a sort of early Thursday morning thing. But that, thank you. The person who is responsible for releasing them on time is, is not me, <laughs> shall I just say. Uh, <laughs> It just depends on what kind of Wednesday I have, you know? <laughs> what is that? It's just one of those meaningless phrases. Yeah, like, you know, it's just my kind of Wednesday. Wednesday. Uh, don't forget that we are on Instagram and TikTok as well. Please follow and, and, and share us. If you like some of our videos, send it to friends. It really helps us. Um, uh, we also... What else do we do? If you're James? listening to the show, thank you so much for listening. Go and get your YouTube app open and just give us a subscribe on oh, YouTube. Please it makes do. such a huge yes. difference for us. It's a free thing you can do that takes five seconds that really helps us grow the show and helps new people find it, helps us get cool things like cool guests, like cool access to premieres and just cool things for the show that we want to do. So please give us a subscribe. We really, really do appreciate it. Thank you so much. See you next week. Thank you.